Jerry Bovino, we're back with Mary Pat Mueller, right? That's it. Mew, not Ma. No, no. Mary Pat Mueller, a comedian laughing at cancer. You can't make this up. And we're really happy to have you on the show. And I promise you that Mary Pat is one of the most impressive, inspirational people that you'll meet in Aspen. So we're happy to have you. So we met over at the... At the Nell. Yes, the and Nell. And you were with Susan Sparks, our yes. friend. Yes. We should give Susan Sparks a Thank little you, plug. Thank you, Susan. She's yeah. a very good, uh, very good um, travel her. agent here in town. Yes. And everybody likes Susan. Mm. So you're a nice Catholic girl from Texas. Give us your background here. Um, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas. Right on the um, border down there, right, right? Real close to the border. In fact, my mom's family is from Laredo and... and uh, uh, with the Texas Revolution, they moved the border, you know, back down the Laredo. So we're actually Mexican um, and now Texan when they moved the border. So, yeah, I grew up in Corpus, um, a middle child of, of five, Catholic family. And, um, yeah, after high school, left the city, and it was a great place to grow up. But one of those good places to be from. Yeah, the river yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so your childhood, you uh, you have a great attitude, Mary Pat. Mm. I'm 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 interested in your attitude because do you think that was something instilled in you by your parents, or do you think that you just sort of have it like biochemically in your in your uh, brain? W what's your theory on that? Well, my uh, my parents were studying contrast. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, you develop your personality. Is it nature or nurture? And I think uh, all of us in the family are very much individuals. And um, as the middle child, I think you, you had to figure out how to kind of navigate your way. So I was, I guess, kind of the rebel and comedian as well, you know, looking for... Were you a funny kid in, like, high school or...? You know, I did a lot of high school skits and stuff. Um, the skits started then and then continued uh, through my work life. But um, my dad is a very, very positive person. People who would Positive. Very positive. Very and you attribute a lot of mm. how your life is currently to your retained positive attitude through a bunch of curveballs that life has thrown you. Yeah, I I think I think that, you know, with all the curveballs, it's always like, okay, um, where's the pony? You know? <laughs> <Where's> <laughs> I, I want a pony. <laughs> <laughs> where's the unicorn? Not everybody gets a pony. No. <laughs> uh, but you didn't expect to get cancer, so that's no. like a whole different deal. No, I don't so um, school, you went to school in, in uh, Corpus? I went to high school in Corpus, uh, graduated, went to UT in Austin for two years, and then um, I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I didn't at feel UT. like... UT? Yeah, at UT. It's one of those big school football... Huge football, and it was fabulous. You know, there's... But it, I just wasn't feeling like it was my tribe at the Did time. Did you have a boyfriend in college? Was um, that part of the problem not or not? Not at the time, but I, I think... You know, college is, it was, you were young and there was a lot of, there were a lot of frat parties and, and that really wasn't my scene. And so 
I was uh, going to transfer to uh, D.C. to go to George Washington University and study there. And um, I ended up working on the Hill instead and living with some, some girls in Georgetown. And, and that was a whole education in and of itself. And that so was a lot of fun. So did you finish college in D.C.? No, I actually didn't go to college in D.C. Um, my mom said, you know, if you're going to move there, you have to live in a dorm. And I'm like, I'm going to be a junior, you know. I don't live in a dorm. And, and so I found a situation with some girls. And, and uh, one of them still one of my best friends today. In fact, she drove out with me to Aspen. and, and well, You've uh, had a long history in Aspen, dating back to vacations. And yes. What's that, what's that story about? Your family yeah. took you here? How'd you get here? Yeah. So when we, I guess I was like 10 or 12, there were some photos we have um, on Independence Pass, you know, in the middle of the summer throwing snowballs. And it was just a big memory. And, and we just had a great time here. But as we were, I remember leaving Aspen and I was you know, young, and I didn't know what was going on, but I just started crying in the back of the station wagon. And I was like, what is yeah, going I on Yeah, I used to that? cry when I had a leaf, too. That's <laughs> why I moved here. Hmm. So uh, you were in business in Texas. Yes. And you had an ad agency. Yes. How did you learn about advertising? It's one of those things I don't know anything about. Sure. Well, I, I did... Um, um, what do they call those those tests when you you know what are your interests kind of thing, and an aptitude test. And I guess I was twenty when I did that, and it said you'd either be a good farmer in agriculture or advertising. And it's like wow, well, okay, those are great. kind of different. I mean, <laughs> very different. And um, well, I thought I I I got a degree in mass communications, uh, mostly because it didn't require math. So I kind of backed into it. You weren't it. a math person. No, no that's a, no. that's, yeah. They had okay. to, they had to create a special course in high school just to graduate a handful of us. And it was like called Mathematics of Consumer Economics where you learned to balance your checkbook. <laughs> and it's like, great, <laughs> I'm out of here. Something cost $8 and you get a 10% discount. <laughs> okay. How much do you pay? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, as a communications person and um, and uh, just uh, started the agency out of my, my bedroom and when my kids were small, was, um, other than my kids, probably the best thing to come out of my bedroom, but um, we... <laughs> That's uh, very funny. <laughs> See, she is a comedian, we're going to get there. So when you, were you married the first time to yes. Bachelor Number One? Yes. When you when you started your agency, yes. what yes. did he do? Um, uh, Ron, Mayron um, from Tehran, was my first husband. He was a very nice guy. He was an engineer, and and he's uh, from Texas too. He's from Tehran. He's he was from Iran. Oh. So, so he was Mayron from Tehran. Mayron from Tehran. And that how was, was it being married to an Iranian? Well, I it's safe to say, you know, there were some cultural differences and and um, very interesting. He's a lovely person and his family's very, very lovely. Are cultural differences, do you think, <laughs> important in a marriage? Sometimes that difference is what attracts you to the person. And yes. then but does it does it make the relationship easier or more difficult to sustain? You know, they say opposites attract. Um but I don't know if that's inherently good. You know, you have to understand and have an appreciation for each other, uh, which you can have with opposites and you can have with um, people who are just like you. But um, a 
kind of this grand dame of Austin said to me not not too many years ago at a party. She goes, you know, I always tell people you got to marry people from your own tribe. From your own tribe. But what's interesting mm. is I do think opposites <clears throat> to a certain extent attract but I don't think yeah. they get along well. Like two people, one's like carefree and the other mm. one's always balancing the checkbook. Those people yeah. might get along when they're dating, but when they're together and one's spending too much money and one's, you know, getting aggravated. Yeah. I think you need to have some kind of similarity of values at some point to make the relationships work. Yeah. It's so true, Jerry. It's it's pretty foundational, and once you get past the romance and the excitement, which um, yeah, that lasts about a weekend. <laughs> now you're down to the okay. checkbook. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's what we're gonna do. We have okay. a lot to talk about. Mm. Um, Mary Pat is uh, a, a rancher, a comedian, a writer. <clears throat> uh, she's inspirational. She's got some great stories. We're just going to take a short break to recognize the underwriters who generously support us here at Grassroots Television. Uh, Andrew Sandler and Bootsy Bellows. you got to get over to Bootsy Bellows in town. It's where it's happening. And, of course, Bishop Plumbing, uh, Heating and Air Conditioning. As soon as we come back, we're going to get you into an amazing story. We're coming right back. Bishop Plumbing and Air Conditioning, serving Aspen and Vail for over 40 years. Shoe covers, name tags, IDs. Let Bishop worry about your heating, plumbing, and air conditioning issues so that you don't have to. Bishop Plumbing and Air Conditioning, 925-8610. Pitkin County Dry Goods opened its doors on July 4, 1969 as Aspen's source for 60s mod fashion. Joining the sophisticated with the informal, Pitkin County Dry Goods offers an eclectic mix of creative boutique designers and wearable fashion basics. Aspen's oldest clothing retailer, Pitkin County Dry Goods, continues to deliver renowned customer service and innovative style to a loyal local and international clientele. Pitkin County Dry Goods. You can reach them at 520 East Cooper Ave or give them a call at 970 925 16 Jerry Bovino, we're back with Mary Pat Mueller. Comedian, a writer, a cancer survivor, mm. you've got it all. And one of the things that impresses mm. me about you, specifically when we met Mary Pat, you sort of laugh. You, you, it's part of your life experience. We all go through our own little life's problems. Cancer isn't one of the ones any of us want. But you have a way of laughing at it, and, and it's, I really admire that. Well, thank you, Jerry. It was it was interesting. Can I tell the story about what you said to me when we first met? Sure. Okay, <laughs> um, go ahead. You just tell the whole story. Okay. 
So, so Jerry and I were sitting at the Little Nell, and we'd just been introduced, and, and being the doctor that he is, I later learned, he said, so are there any defects that are not clinically apparent? <laughs> right, because she's so bubbly and effusive and effervescent <laughs> and beautiful, and... I, and, I, and I said, well, and so go ahead. And so, so it, it was so disarming that I spilled immediately. And I'm like, what did I, what did I just do? I told this total stranger that I have no breast. You have no so, breast. And um, that's a, uh, and I admire the way you can just come out and say that because the pain of it mm. for most uh, women on earth would be something that they would want to sort of keep to themselves and yet you've you've embraced your reality well really you were just a great interviewer well, <laughs> and I, you got me to admit that well i have a disarming <laughs> candor and yes you what do. i found just tangential to mm -hmm. this discussion but over the years for people who have watched me i found that if you ask an honest yes. question without being a jerk okay mm -hmm. if you ask an honest question people will usually give you an honest answer mm -hmm. even if it's something that they didn't plan on talking about on the show. It's and as an example, I had uh, two lesbians on this show a while ago, and I was just talking to them and thinking about them, and I said, which one's the man? And uh, people called me up and said, well, that was, that's what I was wondering. And at first they said, well, neither one of us. But then they said, well, yeah, she's really the man, meaning the dominant, more uh, aggressive member of the couple. So... If you ask honest questions, you get an honest answer. And so we're going to talk for a second. Uh, we'll get into your cancer in a minute. But so you have two kids. You got to say hello to them. Yes, Lawrence, Lawrence and, and Helen, Helen. Right? Yes, they're fabulous. And you have a ranch in Texas yes. and a tractor. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about being you being okay. the ranching babe. But I just want to finish. Mm -hmm. So you you are married to the Iranian. Yes. Okay. And then yes. did you get married the second time before you had cancer? Um, I had cancer in the divorced years. So and, between uh, my first and interim. second marriage. Right. And you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Right. And so tell us the story. Tell us from the very beginning when you when you found out that you had a problem and how you dealt with it. What were you what were you thinking? Because there are you know, dozens of women out there right this second going through the same thing sure. who just being in that point of shock, of uh, dismay, despair. Tell us your story. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, they just did a, you know, I don't think I even had a lump, but um, there was a, a mammogram and an eagle-eyed radiologist said, you know, I don't like what I see here. Let's do a biopsy, the doctor calls, and and uh, um, and it's one of these things where you, you lie face down on a table and your breasts are actually lying, you know, but between these openings and they do a stereotactic biopsy and, and put something in there. So you were like, lying face down and the doctor's underneath yeah, you. the doctor's underneath doing the little thing. And what I remember is, is this wonderful lady who I didn't know and I was there all by myself came in and she just held my hand and just stroked my back. And it was the sweetest, kindest thing. And, and I think when you go through breast cancer, a lot of people go, well, you know, what can I do for somebody who has cancer? And it's just the little things that, that you remember years later. 
um, the little the little softness, little touches of kindness when you're very, very vulnerable. Which is a wonderful lesson for every mm -hmm. nurse, physician, physical therapist, anybody who takes care of patients oh. to remember that it's the little things, the human caring. And in medical school, a lot of times we learn, you know, oh, there's a breast cancer in room three. No, it's not right? a breast cancer. It's actually a 44-year-old woman who happens to have, but there's a person yeah. attached to that right, cancer. Right. And a lot of doctors forget that. And it's mm. something that we really need to emphasize in our medical curricula. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it makes a big difference. You know, you're, um, you're just overwhelmed and, and it's always good to have somebody with you. But at the time I was, I think I was in denial. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm on Well, my that's own. what everybody thinks. It's, it's just going to come out negative. Yeah, It'll be benign. It'll be good. Yeah. yeah. yeah I don't want to alarm anybody. No. And, and then so you get then the phone call. So how long call. did it take before you got a pathologic diagnosis? I think it was within days and the doctor called, the surgeon called and he's like, well, you know, you're positive. And, and so then it was just a, you know how it is the the battery of doctor visits and more tests and stuff like that and so but you had a unilateral breast cancer i had a unilateral breast cancer and uh one of the doctors i got a second opinion one of the surgeons and she goes gosh there's calcifications in there it looks like a constellation and she goes if it was me i would do a bilateral mastectomy and that's what, something interesting is that with cancer a lot of times if you tell someone you've had breast cancer they'll say which side it's like <laughs> if you say i have brain cancer they don't ask oh which side that of your brain so true, Jerry. is that right you never thought about but that you, you know what's interesting and i learned this recently from my yoga teacher who's also named jerry um, he said that more women get breast cancer on their left side. And you think about that, and it's because most people are right-handed. And so if you're talking about, you know, your lymphatic system is the sewage system in your body. It gets all the stuff out. So if you're moving this hand a lot and doing a lot of exercise with it, you're not you know, causing the stuff to flow around. So it's good to do these, Yeah, I had know. never heard that before you said that, that there was a, a side predilection right? for breast cancer. I had never heard that, but I I'm going to go research it a yeah. little bit. So, so anyway, you got the call from the surgeon, and then mm. the other breast looked like nine miles of bad road. Yeah. And so, so, like, so they said yeah. they wanted to do bilateral mastectomies. That was one of the options. And it was like, well, let's go ahead and do that. How did and you then, feel about that at the time? Because not, obviously not good, but did you say, well, I want to keep like one breast? Or what, was your, what were you thinking? Um, I wanted a matching set, Jerry. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, if did they say yeah. that when you, had re, when you were going to have your... Um, plastic surgery to rehabilitate that was covered physical. by insurance so they said you know you have that option it's covered by insurance but um uh, as soon as they said the word mastectomy i remember I, I made a beeline to a friend of mine heidi heidi schultz and um she is an advocate for young adults with cancer nationally she's and a dear friend and i remember she just held my hand and i cried and so how, how much time uh, transpired between the time you were given the diagnosis and your surgery? Uh, about a month. Mm -hmm. and, and then how long after that was, was the reconstruction done primarily or you waited and then? It was done primarily. It was done at the same time and then they decided that, and I thought I would be done. You know, it was fairly early stage, take it out, we're good to go. 
And uh, then they called Raymond D. Anderson and said, "Now you've got to, you need to do chemo." Because it was positive in your nodes, or what was the? It wasn't in my nodes, but it was apparently very aggressive. And given my age, was at it the estrogen time, positive? Was yes. it hormone positive? Yeah. So you took uh, one of the uh, estrogen inhibitors after that. I didn't. You know, I thought, gosh, they took. I took a sledgehammer to a gnat. Right. And my breasts are gone. I've had chemo. Um, I'm like, I'm done, you know. I Maybe that was a mistake, but it, that was 15 years ago, and I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't put any more stuff in my body. Yeah, so, but now you're a single mm. woman at this point. You're sort of between marriages. Yes. And now you, you had to be thinking, how is this going to affect your... Uh, Social life. life, right? Right, love life. right. Love. People, people have love. That <laughs> absolutely, we all want Sex it. Love. So, yes. what were you, were you, were you mm. nervous about that? Um, I think so. I mean, it was they were funky, you know. And, I, and my oncologist, every time she did the follow up for ten years, and I love her, Dr. Beth Hellerstadt in Austin, and she would go, you know, I've seen worse. But I've seen better. You might think about getting those redone. And um, so it was always a little bit of, of um, you know, kind of like, oh. But, but for the first time in my life, I could wear tank tops. And that was very exciting. You could wear a tank top. Yes. Why could you wear a tank top? <laughs> because you didn't have to have a bra with a tank top. And these, these implants, when they do reconstruction, mm -hmm. they're not going anywhere in a wind tunnel. Right. It could be 5G. It's Gs, like two headlights. Like, oh, right. totally. And you they know? tattoo in the they nipple. They tattoo in the nipple with this very, this very talented woman and... And uh, it's like, I don't, uh, Trump de How do you say that? <laughs> it's like, what's my line? You're like, nipple tattooer, right? <laughs> Thank but there are you. people who actually just specialize in that. Yes. And so when people ask me if I have a tattoo, I'm like, yeah, I got two of them. So, <laughs> so okay. <clears throat> now you're between, and then you started dating. What was it yeah. like dating at the time with? You know, this was you. Were you concerned about your body image? Um, a little bit, a little bit, but it didn't seem to have an effect on from the other viewpoint. You know, from the men that you dated seemed yeah. happy enough. Even yeah. though, but most people don't know this because, as a surgeon, I know that implants can get indurated a little bit. They get hard. Yes. And they don't actually feel like normal, soft, yes. playful breasts. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They feel like they're foobs, I call them. Fake boobs. <laughs> foobs. And they stand up. They don't yeah. move the same way. No. They can look yeah. look great in clothing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then you got married again. Got after married this. again. How long yes. after your surgery did I you get married? Think it was about 10 years. In between. And what was the story related to Bachelor Number Two? Um, he wasn't the the father of your children. No. Was Mayran the Tehran? Right, right, right. So Bachelor yeah. Number Two, then what happened? Bachelor him? Number Two. Um, he was a widower, eleven years older, um, very nice man, um, college professor. Um, and. What, and, and then you got sick yes. with Lyme disease. Tell us that story. Because Lyme disease is a very, very difficult diagnosis to it make. It is. It is very Frequently difficult. missed. And, and unfortunately for people with Lyme, you know, they go years without a diagnosis. And at that point, you know, they're... Um, 
are just some chronic things that happen to their body that can't be reversed. So, um, and it's not prevalent in Texas, but I would, I'd lost about 15 pounds and very lethargic. Um, I started getting panic attacks and that was the age of 56 or 57 and I'd never had panic attacks. Um, there were just strange sensations over the body, uh, burning and, and... And did you have a Lyme titer ultimately that confirmed? The Is Western Lyme blot, common in Texas? I didn't know that. You know, the CDC doesn't consider it prevalent. Um, or indigent, but once you start talking to people in the Lyme com community, it is it is more prevalent than I think the CDC would like people to believe. It's also Lyme treatment beyond uh, a month or three or four weeks of doxycycline and antibiotic is not covered by insurance. So I think that's part of the the thing you have to. But you get a, a, a regimen of antibiotics regimen of antibiotics and, and then you're supposed to be better but if it's chronic which you know by the time people are diagnosed um, most people with Lyme it is chronic at that point and you have to really take charge of your own health care which is kind of scary. I, I, it's one of those <clears throat> diseases that's so nondescript in its clinical presentation yes. that a lot of doctors are always uncertain of what they're dealing with and a lot of the patients and just speaking candidly, mm -hmm. a lot of the patients have all these like weird Lyme things and it almost makes the doctors think they're weird. They're not. They have weird stuff. Yes. And, and once you figure out what is the, the regimen that's going to help my body heal and figure that out, um, you realize that, you know, this, this was very real. You, you did what you needed to do. And, and at that time, I... There was just uh, magnet therapy and all kinds of all crazy stuff. Oh, right. crazy stuff! I was just throwing alternative at the everything. Wall. Yes. So then, okay. So now you're <clears throat> married uh, to bachelor number two. You've got Lyme disease. You developed an autoimmune response to your breast implants. Yes. And that was like you needed that like a hole in the head because yes. you finally got comfortable with your body image. And tell us then about. When did we get rid of, when did bachelor number two depart? Well, it, it was within a month of being diagnosed, and, and he just had a very hard time with that. He couldn't deal with your illness. Yeah. And was, so he left. Yeah. Which is not uncommon, by the way. It's very common, I came to find out. Unfortunately, if a woman mm. is there, she'll stay with the guy if yeah. he's sick. But a guy, he's like mm. out like a fat kid in dodgeball. So... All right, now you had to have your breast implants removed. Yes. Tell us about that decision. Okay, so I'd done a lot of reading, and it seemed like there are a lot of women out there who have what they call breast implant illness. And basically, um, they sit right on your thymus gland, and um, what is not commonly known is that they need to be replaced every eight years anyway because a lot of them come apart. They come apart. Or disintegrate. Right. And they don't so, feel like they don't feel like breasts. They don't feel like breasts and then you've got silicone in your body and were and, your implants uh, silicone implants? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of controversy about uh, what type of implants should be used, whether saline is the least intrusive and they have silicone and there's a whole a potpourri mm. of different uh, implant materials, right. and it's <clears throat> it's controversial within the medical community yes. about whether the autoimmune phenomenon is a real thing, but a lot of women swear 
that they've never felt as good as when they got their implants out. It's so true, Jerry. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and a lot of people think, well, if there's silicon, then silicon's bad for you, so take that out. But what is not commonly known with these saline implants is that um, they put saline solution into them, but if there is any exposure to bacteria in the operating room, <clears throat> they develop mold in them. And, and that they're also um, silicone material. So if you're allergic to silicone, then, uh, which I think I was, I, my health really improved after they came out. <clears throat> and, um, but sometimes they find mold in these. Yeah, these I didn't women. know that, but I do remember, this is interesting, this goes back 40 years ago when I was a young surgeon at the hospital doing retina surgery and there was, they, they had a breast implant once that was going into surgery, but for some reason it wasn't used. And I had just picked it up and the nurse said, well, if you want to take it down to your office. And it felt real breasty like. Yeah. And I kept it on my desk. And I had this beautiful <laughs> teak desk that I had oh, bought on Madison Avenue in New York. And I just left it on my desk and I played with it. And it felt pretty much like a breast. It was like a little binky for me to play with when I was sitting there between patients. And then after a few weeks, I noticed that the 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 oil was leaching out and staining my desk. Yeah. And I said, oh. wow, I wonder yes. if the people who manufacture these implants know that. It scared me about breast implants. Well, and and they, they the, the truth is that I was on, um, I had it done at MD Anderson. Um, the first ones that they put in got infected, so they had to take them out. Oh, it's like never a dull moment. Never right? a dull moment. And... Um, um, so they put me on a study to, to follow a clinical trial, following me five years with them. They, they, um, um, what, what they do with the study data, though, is, as it turns out, they just kind of 86 it, you know? And I think that um, what, um, you know, things you're not told, and I was, as I had Lyme disease, I was going and doing infrared saunas, which are supposed to be a great way to detox. And of course, what the <clears throat> infrared was doing was making all that oil come out. Baking this stuff. Yeah. Baking this stuff in, and they're like, no, nah. you know, nobody tells you this, and you have to dig, 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 for like Dr. Internet, which is scary in and of itself. You should not be doing that, but there's really very little guidance, and there's a whole coterie of women out there now um, on these breast implant illness forums. It's who an tell evolving their stories. field of medicine. Yes. So anyway, you, now you've, <clears throat> you've had your breast implants removed, yes. and now you're a single woman, <laughs> and now it's before you could sort of deal with it better, but yeah. then after that, and now you get a full circle back to the story that you started to tell me yeah. when when we met and so go ahead and tell us so now you're dating and and, and because breasts oh. we talked about this yes. breasts have we're a breast obsessed yes. society okay mm -hmm. we love breasts men like breasts women like breasts mm -hmm. they uh, are uh, emblematic of motherhood nursing mm -hmm. uh, allure Allure, sexuality. Mm -hmm. Your value at, at, at some point in your life is, you know, that's why there is this cosmetic breast industry. That's uh, so exactly, huge. because it's like bigger is better, especially in Houston. They have, the, <laughs> they have these breasts Texas. that look yeah. like Ajax, you know. So, okay, 
you're going to start dating again. So, you know, tell yeah. us the story. Okay. So one of the first guys I dated, really nice guy, um, after after getting these done, uh, or taking them out, rather, um, he we'd gone on a couple dates, and he was always wearing a golf cap. And I'm like, well, okay. I'd known him from high school, and I thought, well, he used to have a lot of hair, but maybe there's not so much there. But um, So one night, he was picking me up for a work function. It was dressier. And um, he comes to the door, and there was no golf cap. And he looks at me, and he goes, ah, I'm bald. And I go, ah, I got you beat. <laughs> <laughs> I had to explain later what I meant. But, <laughs> but um, you, you're able to laugh at it because... <clears throat> Well, I'm not sure why you're able to laugh at it. Mm. Probably because it's like a, what they always called like a graveyard, whistling past the graveyard, yeah. like, like a, 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 a graveyard humor, you know, sure. where you're, where yeah. you, it, well, you don't know what to do. If you didn't laugh, yeah, you'd cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to be the first person to make fun of yourself, right? Uh, basically, I mean, that, yeah. That gives, you, that gives you the feeling of I'm in control, even though, you know, we're not. And... None of so, us are in control. It's never. a really good point. No, we all think we are. We do. But, you know, my mother always said, life is what happens to you when you're on your way to doing something else. Mm -hmm. And this is a perfect example of yeah. that. So The more we try to control, the less we control. I know. And I have so, to remind myself of that. So you just got used to the, <clears throat> yourself being a pretty girl with, like, no breasts. And talk about the, uh, the canine analogy that you use. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, I jokingly refer to my chest as the Sharpays. The Sharpays. With, with sad eyes. With so, sad eyes. I mean, they just... Which are the old uh, yes, nipples Yes, the old nipples. So when the, the doctor took them out, you know, you, you, you expand the tissue to put in implants after you've had a mastectomy. And so when the doctor took them out, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, she just left all that tissue kind of like out on its own and and so there was Instead no shaking of it. Instead of excising some skin. Exactly, mean. exactly. So, you know, on their own they kind of just shrunk, 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 and little wrinkled sharpies. So as a comedian, <clears throat> one of the things that we joked about is your online profile. Like where would you put something like that? You know, right? In your online profile. Right? And then you and then we're gonna get to, I wanna come to a second thing is that you don't want to attract a bunch of fetishists. Right? So, so talk about right? that. Okay, so they ask you, you know, do you have kids? Do you smoke? Do you drink? You know, and but nowhere in there is a box to check of do you have breasts? So and you don't want to like you don't want to like you know go into it on your first date. Not with a sledgehammer, no, right? No, because it'd be like, well, I don't even know if I like this person, you know, and like why would how I? How would he ever know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't be all open kimono then, so to speak. <laughs> no and, pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> but then it's like, okay, so, you know, if I, on the first date I would say to somebody, what side of the bed do you like to sleep on? I mean, that would be strange, right? So um, I'm still figuring this out. And so, um, and, and then if you say, you know, right up front in your profile, it might attract those fetishes who like, amputees and stuff like that. So I like, guess yeah. there are men who have those fetishes. Oh my, well, there are a lot of characters on the internet, Jerry. There are a lot of characters, yes. yeah. Internet, interwebs dating is an adventure. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then, you know, it's like, well, 
um, when you when you you don't want to wait until you're like you know just like really feeling it with this person and it can go somewhere and then they're like, well that's kind of a deal breaker to me you know, um, so. But wouldn't a guy be embarrassed in the heat of? Uh, romance to say it's a deal breaker that's kind of weird I they, mean. They, and, and that's it they would be embarrassed and I don't want any I would not want anybody to feel shamed by that you know because right. they're a guy and you know and um, but I don't want to pull a crime game surprise on him either <laughs> right you know? we all remember <laughs> that movie. remember that one it's like oh my gosh <laughs> didn't see that one coming <laughs> well um, I, you know it's interesting that we can laugh about this because yeah. it's not really a funny subject, but one of the things that always intrigues me, uh, Mary Pat, is what makes something funny. Mm. You're a comedian, and my observations about what makes things funny may not be in parallel with other people's, mm -hmm. but like to me, one of the things that makes something funny is something that we're a little bit uncomfortable with. Yes. Because that's one of the reasons that so many jokes are about bathroom humor passing or gas. passing gas, yeah. sexuality, yes. all of those things everybody is a little bit uncomfortable with because we're never sure exactly how to address it. So if you have something about that that makes us uncomfortable, then sometimes even if it's just a nervous laugh, we laugh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's also those things that we have in common, it, it, it makes you feel like uh, they're mundane. And, and Jerry Seinfeld was great with that. It was the... the, the a show about nothing. A show about nothing, you know. But, it, but it's that stuff that goes, oh, somebody else, you know, eats, eats Twinkies, you know, in their bed too. And, and, you know, and whatever it is. But, but it's that connection that it gives us. And it's like, I'm not so strange. And, and it's also the littlest, smallest pedestrian things that we've all observed but never discussed yes. with anybody. Yes. Let me give you an example. I saw a comedian the other night, <clears throat> and he talked about something that I always joke to myself about, but I never talk to anybody in the world about it. It's when you plug in a USB port, yeah. 80% of the time you have it wrong. Yes. Right? It should be just like 50%. But right. some reason you put it in, it's not right. You always have to turn it over. Why can't you get it right at least 50% of the time? It's a silly little thing. Yeah. But it's like, that's the way it is. So. And that makes great comedy. You're, you're working on a book. Uh, working on a book. You have your yeah. blogs, and I've read her blogs, and they're amazing. Oh. I mean, you're a really good writer. Thank and, you. And you have whatever, I don't want to say <laughs> My sick sense of humor, because your humor isn't sick, but it's funny. So Thank talk you. about your book. Yes. Well, it's, um, I, the, the working title is, I really didn't want to be an expert in this. And um, this is just an idea that I've had for three or four years now. And um, it's, it's life lessons that I've, that I've learned, and, uh, but in a funny way. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things that, um, I learned the hard way that I'm like, well, if this could help somebody, maybe that would be a value. Um, and it's interesting because this, this year I'm, I'm here now in this beautiful community. Um, I'm taking a gap year 
and um, I was. You're I, on human body 6.0, yes, right? Yes. Yes. Gap year 6.0. But yes. then, we should go there for a second because <laughs> Aspen, as I frequently joke with people, it's like the do-over capital of the world. Yes. You know, if you got divorced, if you, uh, whatever it is, you dropped out of school, you started school. Everybody's going to show up in Aspen for a while because it's a good place to reset your biologic it, whatever. It really is, and I, I'm interested to know why that is. You know, Jerry, why, why that calling and why... But, but Jerry, you said to me it's playground for adults here. It is a playground for adults, and that's and, uh, to a large extent why many of us come here and stay here yeah. because it's two square miles, as I like to observe, surrounded by reality. And <laughs> real life, like, sucks. It's like cancer yeah. and... The husbands that leave, and, yeah. and now all of a sudden we're here and we're skiing and we're up on the mountain yeah. and we're at the little knoll and we're laughing and we're yeah. forgetting that yeah. if we thought about our lives, we'd like jump off a cliff. It's so true, and there's a cliff. But um, it was interesting. Um, I put all my stuff in storage in Austin. I'd been there for 34 years, ran a ad agency and was very active in the community. And um, and so I was thinking, do I hit the road? This seems very scary. And... Um, somewhat daunting and I was talking to my very wise cousin Claire and she in her quiet way she said why don't you just think of it as a gap year and everything shifted then it was like oh this isn't so huge I'm just taking a gap year I'm not like you know running away it's not for real that you're disappearing exactly this it's is... just like a little mental health break but exactly. you could see where and this is uh, quite often the story with people who come to us. They come here, they're going to stay for a season, a month, a year, mm -hmm. and like 40 years later, I can't get out yeah, of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to so many people on the lift like that. You know, I was just coming through on my way to California, or, yeah. you know, I just spent a winter here as a ski bum and was going to go back to college and didn't do it. And So I, I can see how it happens. But it was interesting. I took, um, I grabbed a bunch of journals um, to journal in to help me with this um, writing process while I'm here um, on this gap year. And um, one of the ones I opened the other day had an entry from like nine years ago when I had gone on another um, sabbatical. And it, it struck me with, um, with what I had written down there and what I was writing present day with how little things had changed. I, I was still dealing with some of the same issues. I was still struggling with some of the same things. And and I I think, you know, having the time as 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 many women and many busy professionals, you don't have that time just to sit and think and and really unpack some things that you really need to unpack in life yeah. and have them make sense. And in just the month that I've been here, I've been able to do a lot of that. You've been able to think about a lot of it. Yeah. And, you know, I always say everybody has baggage at a certain stage. Just find someone you want to metaphorically <laughs> unpack, unpack with. with. And it's because so everybody's true. got something. So, everybody does. So you, you <laughs> said something in the prep that I, mm. I thought was very uh, important to talk about, that humans, hopefully we fit in that category, mm. have a need to evolve and grow. Mm. that we don't stay the same throughout our life. You know, there's an old saying that uh, a man, uh, that a woman, marries a, a woman marries a man and she expects him to 
uh, change and he doesn't and a man marries a woman expects her to stay the same and she, and she changes yeah. so talk about this mm. evolving and growing phenomenon yeah well it's so important um there is a a wonderful jungian um she's a jungian astrologer she's so well of read. course she is of course isn't she everybody is. right <laughs> and she's out of houston nan link and um and she she's just you know all about there's this there's this challenge that comes in our life in our late 30s and our 40s and it's calling us to go inward to grow some more and and um, she is, she goes, look, I read the obituaries. People who don't grow through this period, um, a third of the people die between the ages of 50 and 57. And you, and she's a firm believer in you have to do this human evolution to keep your body fresh. To and keep you your feel mind like you're fresh. doing that now with your 6.0 to Aspen? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And and Aspen now, and it may be, I have an airstream. I may. Yeah, I may, you have an airstream. That's like retro. It's a 1966. That it's so. And so did you sweet. like rehab it inside? It's rehabbed. It's it's ready so to go. It's you know the old joke about the. Uh, the guy says, wanted girl with, you know, online, wanted girl with Airstream, send picture of Airstream. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever taken it anywhere? Yes. It's inaugural Do guys like journey. that? Um, you know, I don't know. I haven't really talked to guys about that. My kids love it. We we went to Marfa, Texas, its first inaugural trip. Yeah. And that was just, it was beautiful. It's so beautiful to be together and to be out in the wilderness it's are just... you in the club the airstream club uh, there are clubs the good that... sam club yeah, well... um i'm a dropout because he has a halo and i don't <laughs> um but no i um but there's a whole group of people it's it's just um it, it becomes part of who they are you know when you talk to somebody with an airstream it, it evokes nostalgia. It does, it does. And that love of just Yeah, the outdoors, Route 66, times. carefree. Yes. We're off and away. Yeah. It's, so you have a mm, bunch of things that, that mm, quotes that you sent mm, to me, all of which I liked. So start mm, with Joseph Campbell, follow, follow your, bliss. your bliss. I didn't know exactly yeah. what that meant. Yeah. And years ago, I, I read his book, The Power, I think it's The Power of the Myth. And it just stuck with me. And it, a lot of people embrace that mantra. And it's just, you know, follow what makes your heart happy and do those things that, oops, that's my mic, uh, do those things that, that light you up. And, and then the universe kind of unfolds to you and shows you your path. You know, a lot of people are like, I don't know what I should do. And even if at my age, 60, I feel a strong call to have a new purpose. I've raised my kids. I sold my business. I, you know, I used to have a husband to take care of. None of and all of those are a big part of your identity, and especially as a woman. And I think a lot of women go through this when they hit the empty nest. And they may or may not have had careers, but it's, it's very unsettling. And it feels like you're free falling. And so to find that next purpose that next thing that it's there it's but most there. people can't find it and I think I, I experienced that block for three years it wasn't allowing myself you know I had a I have a vision board where I put things on my vision board and I'd look at it every day it was in my 
my bedroom and I put pictures of there was my airstream and then Italy and and um, different different things and one of the mantras on there was I'm tired of being good I want to be free and when people retire or they go on to a new phase of life they often don't allow themselves to be free that's interesting because a lot of people come on the show and they say they want to be themselves they finally want to mm. they've done this for their parents for their kids yeah. for their husband and now all that's behind them and now they just yeah. want to be themselves yeah and and even at you know at my age i still wouldn't hear my mom in the back of my head we going, all do we, all, we yeah. all do what are you doing that's not responsible what are you running away I know. from you and know? you're almost embarrassed that you're yeah. like not listening you're like 500 yeah. years old yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you still yeah. can't you still have to take out the garbage here. yes so mm. now the guys that you meet online are there any good stories you have about online dating that you can share with some of our viewers who might um, be in the same? You know, I just, I got back into online dating recently. So I'm really, um, I, I guess, I think if you're going to do online dating, you need to go in whole hog and respond to people. And, and I just am a little jaded now. I'm halfway in. Jaded because you had bad experiences or? Um, yeah, I think so. And, or most and, of the people out there, here's an it's my perception as a guy that most of the guys out there are like nice guys who you'd like to meet and go yeah. out with. Are most of them like that? You know, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, what, what I learned from my, I, I met husband, my second husband online, and um, something I learned is that, you know, you can put anything in, in your profile, and it may or may not be true. Um, and you can omit things, too. So um, I think what, there are sometimes, uh, there are people who I've had, uh, gosh, like weeks of back and forth, back and forth before you even talked on the phone. And then you walk in the room, and immediately it's like if the chemistry's not there, right? You know, and it's an it's that always that chemistry thing. that unexplainable, yeah, uh, indefinable. And, yeah. It's there or it isn't. It, it exactly, and and you can't tell that from a profile. But a lot of people are very happy with people they meet online, and and uh, but the thing that strikes me right now, Jerry, is that um, it seems like one interminable interview. And online, online, and then, and then, you know, if you have a good first date, then I would get the follow up interview questions. And it was like, oh, I guess I made it to the second round, you know, <laughs> but it's like, oh, it, it, it almost is like the organic nature of two people meeting and having a conversation is, is not there. It's disallowed. It's it's almost strained in a way. It is. To sort of get to the next point. Because the guy's thinking if he's going to make the cut too. Yes. You know, and we all, the one thing and that I I think it's fair to say, we're all afraid to a certain extent of rejection. Yes. None never. of us want to be rejected. No. If a guy shows up and he wants you to like him mm. because he, he saw pictures of each other, he wants you to like him. If you don't like him, it's like horrible and vice versa. Yeah. So true. In in online dating, it's like this big candy store, and it's. I think people are looking to eliminate instead of get to know. Is there one thing that you found that's a unifying theme in the guys you liked? Were they just more honest or funny or? Mm, I think funny, and women will always say, "I want a guy who's." 
funny. And I think that, you know, then we'll go, and I'm funny. <laughs> but, I, but, I but he's not. There's right? a delta between, you know, her funny and you, you know. But um, women really value that. It's... Um, you just don't want boring. To me, boring is the worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's interesting. It's it's so interesting. And, um, you know, there's there's the profile pictures. I think I would, I, in, a, in another life, I would love to have a business that just gave advice to guys about, okay, don't take a picture with your dying father, you know, <laughs> like this, you know. Some of it is like, so don't, or your ex-wife and put it online. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, just kind of frost her out in all the pictures. And it's like, I kind of think that might be, you know. Yeah, it's a turn off. Yeah, it's like. So you said also, don't. I, I love this one because I think most people make this mistake mm. repeatedly. Don't take yourself too seriously. Yes. Yes. We, everybody's guilty of that at mm. some point. Mm -hmm. And. Yes, and I, 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 that is the one thing that when I start getting wrapped around the axle about something, I go, okay, MP, you're not going to solve world hunger. You're not going to bring world peace. Just take yeah, it Yeah, we want to go out and have a good time, and have maybe I'll time. get a kiss goodnight, exactly, you know. Exactly, exactly. And so never use, this is in reference to mm. words, and I thought it was, I liked the way you framed it. Never use permanent marker. Oh, <laughs> do you want me to tell that story, I, Jerry? Sure. Oh, okay. So um, I was maybe six or seven. We had a playhouse in the backyard when I was growing up. And um, all the neighborhood kids would come there. and We played endless hours. That was before cell phones and games and stuff. And um, I found a, I don't know what possessed me, but I knew that there was something just a little wrong with this word, but I wrote F-U-C-K in big letters on the side of the playhouse in permanent Sharpie. And um, soon, you know, a crowd gathered. <laughs> I was, my first, my first act as a public writer. And, um, and then, and then there was like, I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that I was doing something that was just a little edgy. And, um, yeah. And um, I remember the whole, it seemed like the whole neighborhood was there just staring. Yeah, and then but it's a metaphor and... for our words because I think there's an old saying that you're a, a prisoner of your thoughts yeah. but a victim of your words. Because oh, once they come out, it's like the toothpaste coming out of the tube. You never can yeah. take them back. And I still remember pe things people said to me mm. 45 years ago. Uh, that still indelibly in etched there. in my mind, and it's painful. It and is. so you you have to really sort of button it up when you're not sure that you want to say that. You really do. I mean, there's things in my my past relationships and um, that I distinctly remember exactly where I was standing when that person said that to me. Yeah, and you still remember. And I still remember. And and I can't, you know, it's like, let it go, let it go, let it go. And one of the things that I learned uh, from Mary Pat, and which should apply to me because it's know your audience, oh, especially yes. when it comes to comedy, yes. because stuff that's funny in Tulsa at the airport mm -hmm. is not going to be funny at the Holiday Inn in Austin. Yes. So I was a stand-up comedian um, in Austin. I guess I was in my late 20s, and I did a, a show similar to this on uh, Access TV. Um, 
but it was like we did sketches and stuff like that and I also did uh, comedy nights and I was hired my first gig was the Holiday Inn Tulsa wait for it wait for it airport lounge and um, I you know Austin's a college town and what played really well there were redneck jokes and talks you know I talk about my double wide my my boyfriend who had a a, a sofa and it was Naga hide and he would say it's from the height of the deadly Naga I got it myself and you know I had this whole spiel and so I uh, went to Tulsa with my my dear friend Lisa partner in crime and uh, we drove up there and um, I did the same same act and it wasn't funny oh crickets <laughs> oh, it was horrible well you are amazing mary pat oh, i have to tell you this hour just so, shot by i was spent an hour you're thank you Jerry. you're you're, it's you're a, a wonderful person to be around you just have good energy oh, and any guy you. who's lucky enough to meet you uh will uh, enjoy you, that energy thank so you. i this has been a privilege we want to yeah. read your we want to read your book when it comes out <laughs> which is called uh, I didn't want to be an expert on this. Yes. And we hope to see you around town. And if you, any of you guys want to meet Mary Pat, <laughs> I'll be the big brother. You email me at AspenRacer at AOL and I'll screen you. Uh, no fetishists need apply. And we will see you all next week. Thank you so much, Jerry. <laughs> this was so fun. This was great. Thank